So we're going to uh, read the passage for today, which is uh, Matthew chapter 27, starting at verse 27. Um, If you're reading from the church Bibles, you should find it on page 999. Um, So page 999 and Matthew 27, verse 27. Um, This section comes just after uh, the part we read last week where Pilate has just released Barabbas and handed Jesus over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers round him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spat on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they'd mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Well, thank you, Eleanor, for leading our time of prayer and for Val for recording that helpful video for us as well. I wonder, if you sometimes wonder in your heart of hearts if we can really trust God when the world that we live in is such a messed up place. Like lots of you, I was out for a walk one day um, during lockdown with a friend of Susan's. And uh, we got towards the end of the walk around Portbury, around the woods there, and we're just about to get back to the car when a disabled guy was just in front of us. He was struggling to walk, he was struggling to talk, And Susan's friend said to me, how can you believe in God when he has to suffer that much? It's a good question, isn't it? This week I've read one of the most disturbing books I've ever read. It's this one here, you may or may not have read it. It's called The Creaking on the Stairs. It's written by Pastor Mes McConnell, a pastor in Scotland. And it's about his accounts of child abuse. He was abused as a child on every index. He reaches the highest level that you can for being abused. He was abused physically. He was abused sexually. 
He was neglected, and he was um, uh, just treated abysmally. Things in here that I've read, and I was a school teacher in one of the roughest schools in Bristol, are worse than anything I encountered in my years in teaching. And he um, said, basically, he reached a point where he never doubted that God existed, but if everybody else hated him, perhaps God just hated him too. He describes one incident where he was sent home from school because he had tremendous pain in his stomach. And he got home, and it was mostly his stepmother who abused him. And she decided there was nothing wrong with him. So she beat him unconscious and left him on the floor uh, in front of her neighbors. She had no shame and went off to the pub. And it was only when he didn't come round that one of the neighbors called an ambulance and three hours later he had an emergency operation for appendicitis. Lying in hospital alone, he didn't wonder if there is a God. Just that God hates him as much as everybody else. I don't know about you, maybe you can relate to some of those experiences, maybe you can't, but maybe your life just feels like it's totally off track. Maybe you've missed every mark you laid down for your life. Maybe things just haven't panned out in the way that you expected. Val's talked about that this morning with Bob getting cancer early in their retirement. Things aren't on track. They, the plan doesn't feel like it's going in the way that it should. I had another friend of mine call during lockdown a few months ago now. And people are losing hope. He described that in his family, his wife's dad had taken his own life. And very soon afterwards, his son's best friend at Bristol University had done the same thing. Do you see, people are losing hope. They wonder what point is there, what purpose is there in pressing on in this world where there is so much pain and so much suffering. They wonder can we trust God? As I was reading through this book this week, in God's providence, Mez addresses the passage that we read this morning. It's one of the chapters in here is on these verses in Matthew chapter 27. Here's what Mez says in response to these verses. I remember many years ago when I first considered Jesus and I read these verses They didn't answer many of my questions, but they did bring me a measure of comfort. Jesus was not indifferent to my humiliation. He had suffered his own, far, far greater than mine. While I stood naked, my humiliation lay bare before cruel eyes, heaven wept. Jesus grieved as one who's been through his own deeply painful, humiliating ordeal, naked and bleeding, mocked and despised at the hands of the very people he created. And all I want to do here this morning, all I want to do is introduce you to the God who gets it, to the God who gets you to the God who understands those darkest times in our lives like no other because he has been through the darkness. And today we will not get to the other side. That that comes later. Today we just go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the darkness and yet there is deeper to go next week as Simon takes us to the cross. 
But I want you to see that Jesus understands that God is in control, that he cares. And as Val said this morning already, he will never leave you or forsake you, even in the darkest of times. Three things in this passage I want to show you. First one is that the soldiers hurt and humiliated Jesus. The second one is that the spectators, those watching, hurt and harassed Jesus. And the final one is that Simon from Cyrene helped and he honoured Jesus. We're going to see the Gospels right here again at the heart of this passage. So let's first of all begin there. The soldiers hurt and they humiliated Jesus. This was their part in this particular drama. They hurt and they humiliated Jesus. But actually, although that was what they did, they were absolutely responsible for their actions. Nothing had gone against the plan that Jesus foresaw unfolding. Back in chapter 20, Jesus said these words to his 12 disciples, to his best friends. He said, Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the 12 aside and said to them, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teach the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he'll be raised to life. And we've seen over the past few weeks that plan of God unfolding. Do you see, Jesus knew what was going to happen in Jerusalem. If that had been me, I might have hot-footed it the other way. But Jesus, it says, turned to Jerusalem and said, this is what's going to happen. This is the purpose behind me going there. So he went to Jerusalem at Passover time, the time the Jews remembered how God had rescued them. And he went there not just to celebrate Passover, but to be a new Passover lamb for his disciples. And he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane by the soldiers sent by the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And they took him to the chief priest's house where overnight he was put on trial for his life and then condemned for blasphemy that a mere man would claim to be God. They understood, you see, who Jesus claimed to be. It's not something that was imposed on Jesus' life later by the Apostle Paul, or by the disciples, Jesus believed he was God in human form. And they did not believe that was so, so he was condemned for blasphemy. That was why he was put to death. And he should have been stoned to death. That was the penalty under the law. When you read on in the book of Acts, that's what usually happens. Has ever made you wonder, why did they have Jesus crucified? That came up in our family devotions a few months ago, and we were puzzling and thinking, why wasn't he just stoned to death? Why did he have to be crucified? Do you know? Because they wanted to humiliate him. Because in the Old Testament, it said these words, you must not leave the body hanging on a pole overnight but be sure to bury it that same day because, here's the thing, anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. That's what they wanted people to think when they thought of Jesus. There is a cursed man. 
There is a man unloved by God. There is a man who is the very enemy of God. There is a man who God has no time for, who is a liar and a fraud and a blasphemer. That was what they wanted people to think. They hurt and they humiliated Jesus. And then as Jesus said, he was handed over to the Gentiles, to Pilate, as Simon so helpfully took us through last week. And he was put on trial for his life. And even though no evidence could be found, no, nothing that he had done that had broken Roman law, the chief priests and teach law whipped up the crowds. And when Pilate said, what do you want me to do with Jesus? They shouted out, crucify him, crucify him. And so at the end of last week, we reached the verse before the one Eleanor read to us. Then he released Barabbas, Pilate, the Gentile ruler, released Barabbas, a criminal, to them, to the crowd. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. And from there, our story unfolds. Jesus was hurt. The flogging there is just one word. But we know that Jesus was scourged that they used a leather whip with bits of bone and metal put into it with one purpose only, to rip the flesh from his bones. The Old Testament foresaw this happening. The image is stark. Psalm 129 says this, Plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long. You ever go for a walk and you see the field churned? That's what Jesus' back looked like by the time they had finished with him. But they weren't finished. Do you see that? Then the soldiers took Jesus to the Praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him, about 600 men gathered to see Jesus. 600 soldiers, Gentiles of different kinds from around the region. They stripped him, took off his clothes. They put a scarlet robe on him. Some of you might be wondering here, why did it say scarlet and not purple? Is that a contradiction? We're always told there's loads of contradictions in Scripture. It's not. It was always a scarlet robe, which is why it's called that here. One of the soldiers took their red robes. You've seen the Roman soldiers before on the red robes they wore. They put a red robe on Jesus. But the point is, it was to imitate the purple robe that Caesar always wore. Caesar wore purple, which is why the other gospel writers say it was a purple robe, because it was meant to imitate Caesar himself. And that's why they put the staff in his hand. It should have been of gold, but it was of reed, because they were mocking him. It was his scepter. All he would have was a reed staff. And on his head, instead of a crown of gold, they put a crown of thorns. And then they bowed down, 600 of them, in mock worship, as they would have done for real for Caesar. Of Caesar, hail Caesar. But not this time. Laughing, they bow down and say, hail King of the Jews. They humiliate Jesus. They humiliate him. And once that's over... Then they put her clothes back on him again, and they send him on his way to crucify him. As they're going out, they meet a man from Cyrene named Simon. They force him to carry the cross. Jesus is so broken by this time that he can't carry his cross beam. But do you know how heavy that beam was? It was about 300 pounds in weight. To get your head around that, 
Tyson Fury, who many of you may have seen fighting, the heavyweight champion, is trying to get his weight up to 300 pounds for his next fight. If you've ever seen Tyson, he is a man mountain. The weight of this crossbeam would be like carrying a heavyweight boxer on your back. And bear in mind what had been done to Jesus' back before he was to lift this. It was a crushing weight. I wrote to a friend of mine this week who's a Royal Marine and asked him if he could lift it. He said just about, just about he could lift it, but it would be a struggle. Here's Jesus, unable now to lift this piece of wood, to carry his own crossbeam. And Simon of Cyrene does it for him. And then they take him out and they offer him wine vinegar as a sort of um, anesthetic, just to numb the pain. Probably seen films where people use alcohol as a, a kind of anesthetic before operations. They offer it to Jesus, numb the pain, Jesus. And he refused. So he was fully conscious as they drove the nails through his hands and his feet. The pain is unimaginable. Only once have I got a nail in my foot. It was as a child. I was running around the garden in my wellies, and there was an upturned piece of wood, and I stepped on it, and the nail went through the welly into the sole of my foot. I can remember the pain to this day, and it only went in a small distance. Jesus would have been in agony. And he's then nailed to the cross. And the main way that you die there is not to be able to breathe anymore. To breathe, you pull yourself up in your hands and your ankles to breathe in a breath. And then you let yourself down again. And the pain is excruciating. And you keep doing that till you can do it no more. That's why the soldiers waited. Their final insult, they took the sign that would have been around his neck, King of the Jews, and they nailed it to the cross above him as ongoing mockery. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is a deep, deep darkness. It's a darkness of physical suffering. It's a darkness where Jesus is stripped and humiliated, where his identity and everything that was good about him was treated as nothing where his status was to be that of the lowest criminal, where people expressed their hatred in really tangible ways towards him. And whatever we go through in our darkest moments, we know there is a God who can comfort us because whatever we go through, he's been through worse. Whatever you go through, no matter how bad it is, even if you're 10 out of 10 on the abuse scale, Mess McConnell can say, Jesus went through worse for me. But it's not just that he went through worse. As we've seen, this was God's plan. And part of the problem when we suffer is we don't understand. When my first wife died of cancer, I did not understand. I didn't get it. I wasn't given an answer as to why. But... We can trust a God who has a plan even when we don't understand it because of Jesus. We look to Jesus. He's the one who makes sense of our world. He's the one we cling to when we don't understand what's happening. And if you're going through tough times right now, if things are really difficult for you, hold on to Jesus. He's the God of compassion. He's the God who's in control. And he will see you through.
But the second thing is this, it's not just that these soldiers hurt and humiliated Jesus, but that the spectators hurt and harassed him. That's the second group of people we meet here. It says two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Ordinary folks passed by, it says. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it up in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. And then we get the elite coming by, the Jewish elite. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. And then at the lowest of the low, these rebels, these criminals, it says in the same way, who were crucified with him, also heaped insults on him. Do you see what Matthew's doing here? He goes from Pilate, an elite Gentile, a Roman governor, to the soldiers who were ordinary men just doing their job, but Gentiles. Then he switches his focus, these spectators, these passers-by. There are ordinary folks, there are the elites, there are the criminals, all Jews. And everyone is complicit in Jesus' death. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is not one who is innocent in this story, save Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God. The Jews, the Gentiles of all backgrounds and classes, every single one stands and abuses God. That's where we begin to cut off from him, away from him, his enemies, who look on God on the cross And in our hearts, we hate him. We hate the claim that his death makes upon us. That says there's only one way we can be right with God. Only one way we can be forgiven. Only one way we can be saved. You see, the words they said in one sense were true. He could not come down from the cross and save himself and us. That was the choice before Jesus. There may have been 600 soldiers, but we saw a couple of weeks ago, Jesus could have called down 70,000 of the troops of heaven who could have broken him free. Any moment, Jesus could have more or less said to his father, beam me up, take me home. And the chariot that rescued Elijah and brought him into heaven without death could have taken a second visit to earth and brought him home, but it didn't. Do you know why? because he loves you. He loves you. In all of your messed upness, in all the times you've lived as if he isn't there and doesn't care, in all those moments where in the darkness you've blamed him and you've said it's his fault and you've doubted his love and his goodness, he sent Jesus to rescue you at your worst while you were still a sinner with nothing but hatred in your heart for God. Jesus died for you. He died for you, and all for love. Not because you're good, not because you're special, not because there was something worthy in and of you, but all for love. Love for the unlovely, love for people like you, people like me, people who deserve nothing but condemnation and hell itself. Jesus went through hell for you. He went through it for you. That's what he did. And in this story, 
in this story, there's one, you see, for whom this is the beginning of the journey. Could that be the same for you here this morning? Could it be that the reason you're here today, the reason you're watching at home, is because this is the beginning of the journey for you, that as you see Jesus bruised and blooded and battered and humiliated and harassed and helpless, that like one person in this story, it'll be the beginning of your journey of faith. You see, seemingly there's another innocent victim in this story, isn't there? He's there in verse where is he? Verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene in North Africa, who was obviously there as a pilgrim, celebrating Passover, and they forced him to carry the cross. Do you know, this is an amazing moment. Simon from Cyrene helped, but then he honored Jesus. Matthew doesn't say as much, you see, as some of the others do about this man. Here's what Mark says. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. Do you see, when Mark writes his gospel of Peter's memories of what happened on that day, he expects his readers more than 20 years later to know who this man is and who his children are. And many commentators believe that the Rufus that's mentioned in Romans is the same one. Let me read the quote. So Paul, right at the end of his wonderful letter to the Romans, says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, oh, I love this, who has been a mother to me too. You see, a seemingly chance encounter with a blooded, broken man who was too weak to carry his own crossbeam begins the beginning of a journey of discipleship that sees Simon from Cyrene saved, that sees his wife saved, that sees his children saved. He recognizes in this bloody, broken man, there is God for me. There's God for me. I wonder as you're here this morning, do you know this God? There is no other. There is no one else like him. No one with his majesty and authority. No one with his compassion and kindness. No one with his love and his mercy. No one with his grace and forgiveness. No one who can pay the penalty for sin and open the door of heaven to people like you and me. It is Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, the Lamb who was slain, who alone can do these things. He gets you. He loves you. He's walked through the darkness to rescue you. Will you leave this morning unchanged? Or will you bow down on your knees and say, Jesus is my King who died for me? Some of you have been doing this at home. I met a man this week who had bowed down in front of his television in response to the Word of God. You can do the same this morning. And you can do it here. Because in our heart of hearts, it's bow down to Jesus or face the darkness alone.
It's the choice we all face. He's the God who gets us. And he's here and he's present this morning. Let me pray. Lord God, these are the most important moments in human history. Never again will there be an event like this. Never again will there be a moment where the sin of the world was paid for once and for all, but at what cost? Lord Jesus, those of us who love you, those of us who know you, those of us who have been rescued by you, Lord, help us to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And Lord, for any here watching this morning, watching here because they don't yet know you, watching at home and don't yet know you. Oh Lord, may this morning be a day of salvation. May today be a day where they say, Jesus is my God, my King. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you for going to the cross for me. Thank you for going through the darkness for me. Thank you for taking the punishment that I deserve, the death that I should die, and setting me free. Oh Lord Jesus, oh Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross, our friends. Amen.